listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Our passage today is found in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the, wor- the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Good morning, Sojourn. You know, I used to play soccer games at Frost when I was 10 years old, so it's, it's great to be back, and especially to see a Jesus-centered church here. It's just wonderful. So uh, as I start, I, was, I didn't plan this, but Justin didn't pay me to say this. He probably doesn't want me saying this right now. Uh, you guys have a great pastor um, you know, so I'm, I'm relatively young, you know, I'm still in my early to mid-30s, and I'm relatively new into ministry, and so just to have a man, you know, who's further along than me in ministry to, to go to, who's actually initiated to reach out to me, uh, just to be very selfless and, and help me, and, you know, like, some people go into ministry because they want to make a name for themselves, and it's been so refreshing to talk with Justin, and like Justin's heart beats for you guys. Uh, it comes through every time I get together with him. And so he's not in this for him. He just wants you guys to know Jesus. And so Justin, just thank you for being a, a model to me of you know, why I, you should be in ministry. So yeah, I mean that. So uh, Justin asked me to come and just share a few words uh, from First Peter on the topic of community. And I, I kind of chuckled when, when he suggested that because, so just so you all know, I'm extremely introverted, and so this whole idea of the church has been a, a long and arduous process for me to, be, to believe, to be c- convicted by, and you know, so I'm one of those people who, I probably shouldn't be saying this as a pastor, but it's like when somebody, you know, when I make plans with somebody, and then an hour before they text me, oh, sorry, you know, I can't make it anymore, something came up. I'm like, yes, you know, that, <laughs> it just gives me joy, you know, I, I just, I love getting together with people, but sometimes I love it when plans fall through, <laughs> and I just get to be by myself with a book or, or with my spouse, so, uh, so I, I just say that as, as we go through this text, uh, some of it will be pretty convicting, at least I hope it will be, it's been convicting for me as I've been going through it, 
Um, so I'm just, I'm here sitting under the word with you guys as it's being delivered, but I hope for, for you all as we walk through this uh, that you see the church for, for what it is, because a lot of times the church can be, it's like an annoying byproduct that you have to be a part of when you become a Christian, you know, like you get a job, so you have to pay your taxes, like you become a Christian, well now I have to be part of this church. But Peter here is going to show us just a, a far more glorious and rich view of what the church is and how God originally designed it to be. And so I hope this, this changes us this morning in even just a small way. And so, um, so we're, in, we're in 1 Peter, and so it's written by the Apostle Peter, and he's writing to a group of Christians. They are living on the margins of society. They're in a society that finds it very strange to be a Christian, so not very different than the culture that we're in, right? And so he's encouraging this group of believers on what the church is. This, as you heard it, read it, it's very dense passage, verses 1 through 10, so we're not going to cover everything in here. It's going to be very high level. Um, but here are just three things we'll look at as Peter talks to us about what's the church. So first, we're going to see the priority of, of the church or community. Second, we'll see the, the practices of community. So what are the, some of the things we should do in community? And then number three, we're going to see God's pursuit of his community. Okay, so first we'll see the priority of community. Second, we'll look at the practices. What, what do we do in community? And then finally, number three, we'll look at God's pursuit of his church, of his community. Okay, so first, number one, the priority of community. So you'll see here in, in verse four, Peter says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So this is temple language that he's using, right? So stones, priesthood, being built together. And so what, what he's talking about is before Jesus Christ came, what the temple was, was this was the place where people would go to experience God, uh, either in, in community. And so in the temple, people would have an experience of God and grow in intimacy with God in a way that was very unique when they were outside of the temple. But then Peter's saying, well, now Jesus has come. He's the perfect and final sacrifice. This is why we no longer make sacrifices, thank goodness. And he says in verse 6, he's quoting Isaiah, behold I'm, laying, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. So there he's talking about Jesus. So Jesus is now the cornerstone of the New Testament church, where we are today. And the cornerstone was a, a massive stone that was laid first at, at the base of a building. It had to be flawless. It had to be impeccable so that every stone that was built on top of it would, would also be aligned and so the structure wouldn't fall apart, right, right as it's built up higher. And so here, here's what Peter's saying. He's saying now in the era that we live in today with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, he refers to us as living stones. So what that means is when you trust in Christ, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, God's spirit, he indwells you. So you're now a new person. That's what he means by you're a living stone. He says you're being built together into a spiritual house. Okay, so we are now the new temple. So here's what this means in maybe less obscure language, because I can already see some of your eyes starting to blaze over a little bit. Um, what Peter is saying is, so just as in the Old Testament time, you would experience God and mature by going into the temple. What he's saying is now, your experience of God and your maturity as a Christian cannot be realized apart from community. Because now, now you're the new temple. When, when the people of God gather together, so in corporate worship, and then we gather together throughout the week, we mature and we experience God in a way that, that cannot happen on our own. And 
I mean, this, this makes sense, right? So think about any discipline. Like in, in, your, in your field of interest, if you're trying to get, get better at a, you know, at a hobby, in any discipline, you, you, can you achieve your full potential by doing it on your own? Of course not. You need teachers, you need peers, because they, they can see things you can't see, they can help you in, in ways that you can't do on your own. And Peter's saying the same thing. And we, we need to hear this because I hear, I and mean, this is how I stood for a long time and I continue to hear it now as a pastor, is you know, we live in a very individualistic culture where we live life through the lens of the individual me. Okay, it's just the air we breathe. And, and so, so everything is about, you know, we, we love expressing ourselves. We love discovering ourselves. This is one of the reasons why we, why we create tests like the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram and talk about it all the time because it helps us learn more about ourselves. But what happens is when it comes to our approach with God is we can take a very lone wolf approach to spirituality. Well, yeah, sure, we acknowledge the church, you know, we, we tip our hat to it, but at the end of the day, it's like, well, I don't really need the church. Peter says not so. And so here's, here's one of the ways this plays out. And so I've been reading this book by David Brooks. He's a pretty well-known columnist for the New York Times. And I'm, you know, not saying I agree with everything David Brooks says, but, but he, he, has, he had some good things to say in this book called The Second Mountain. And it's a social commentary on the life of Americans. And what David Brooks says, he says, for many young people, so mainly those in their 20s and 30s, but often in their 40s as well, is we tend to approach one of, we, we tend to approach life through one of two paths. And one path is the aesthetic lifestyle. And so in the aesthetic lifestyle, you, you judge life as if it's a piece of art. So when you're, when you're with people, when you're in a job, you know, when you're going about, going about your day, you tend to view things in terms of, is this interesting or dull? Is this pleasurable or painful? Is this pretty or ugly? And then so what you do is you seek out the interesting experiences. You seek out the pleasurable experiences. And so then what, what happens is you tend to live a life where you never commit anywhere. Right? Because if, if your goal in life is just to go, you know, just to, to travel and eat good food and, and everything, you, you, everything you do has to be extraordinary and very interesting, when you commit somewhere, you're now losing out right, on the ocean of possibilities elsewhere. And so it makes committing to, to a church a, a very difficult thing to do when you're constantly you know, looking at Instagram, all the, you know, the better lives that other people are living. You're like, oh, I need to go here, I need to go here. So that, that's one way we tend to approach life is the aesthetic lifestyle. And the other way we tend to approach life, he says, is the, is the path of the insecure overachiever. And so, in other words, we tend to approach life as a continuation of school. It's like in school, right, you, you, you work really hard, you get good grades, at least a lot of people do. Right? And, it, and it feels good. You're like, okay, I, I know how to do this. So then after school, you go to grad school and you do it again. And then after that, you, you get into your job. And you're like, hey, well, I, I know how to do school. And it, it feels good to, to set a goal and achieve it. And so, but what happens is your life just continues to be this like, okay, I need to achieve. I need to achieve. I need to achieve. But you're constantly insecure. Like, am I doing enough? Seeking gold stars from your employers, from, from your peers. And what Brooks's point is in both of these pursuits, which I think oftentimes we tend to oscillate back and forth between, right, like making career a priority, making the aesthetic life a priority, is both of these pursuits are very me-centered. Like it's all about just expanding the self. What Peter's saying here is he's saying that, like if that is what you hope for, if that's what you dream about, that is a very small and self-centered story to live. 
So what he says is, let me invite you into a story that's far more grand, far more enduring, far more joy-filled than living your life to just be the best individual me that I can be. Instead, entwine yourself into a, a local body of believers so that they can help you and you can help them experience God and mature as a believer. And this, is what, this is what God tells us in his word over and over and over. So that, that's just the first point, the priority of community. It, it really matters. Is the church messy at times? Yes. Is it often uninteresting? Yes. But it's also far more glorious than, than any other pursuit we can have, right, as we do it alongside Christ. Okay, so that's number one, the priority of community. Just think about, like, what are your hopes? What are your dreams? So number two, Peter's going to talk about some practices. Like, what are some of the things we do when we're in community with, with one another? And so he says that um, in verses one through four primarily. And he says, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now, he's not saying, okay, just do these things to be a good person. So there's a, there's a point to it. And he says, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into, into salvation. So that's another, word, that's another way of saying of when you practice these things, putting away envy and slander and so forth. It's one of the key ways that you mature as a believer and implant the gospel of Jesus, the good news about what Christ has done, deeper into your life. Okay, so that's one reason you do it. And then he says later in verse 9, you are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So he's saying, yes, is there an internal component to doing these things in community? Absolutely. But also, you should be living in a way that makes people outside the church kind of go, huh? Like, that doesn't make sense. That these people of different political parties and temperaments and ages and ethnicities are all together <laughs> behaving in this way, sacrificially with one another. Okay, so there, there's, a, there's a profound purpose to these practices, and there's a lot in here, but let's just talk about a few of them. So one of the things he says here is put away envy. And I felt led to highlight this because it's, it's not something we often talk about, I don't think, and like often when I, you know, I'm in like a prayer circle with somebody, I don't often hear, okay, like I'm really wrestling with envy. But what envy says is when you're prospering, I feel bad about myself. And here, by the way, just giving credit where credit is due with envy and slander. Uh, there's a pastor named Hunter Beaumont in Denver that was very helpful for understanding envy and slander. Um, but so, so envy says, when you're prospering, I feel bad about myself. So I want your love partner. I want your job. I want your home. And the thing that envy does to a community is it, is it makes a community an unsafe place to prosper, Right? Because when you know, and often we don't say it out loud, but oftentimes we, we harbor bitter thoughts internally. Right? So when you hear about you know, somebody like upgrades their kitchen, or they, you know, they live a life where they're, they're traveling to these sweet places every four weeks. You're like, I want what you have. And so in a community, it makes it very hard just to rejoice with other people in, in the community about things God's doing in your life <laughs> if you know that people are just going to envy you for it. And so it's so important that the church, you know, Sojourn here, Doxology in, in Arlington, all the local churches, that, that we're a, a, a church that is, that is free from envy. And when somebody tells you something good that's happening in their life, to, to, to celebrate with them and to do it, sin to, to do it sincerely. 
Okay, so that's one practice, is just learning to, to put away envy, rejoice with people. Another thing Peter says is, put away slander. Okay, so slander in this context means to talk poorly about somebody, to put people down. And so while envy makes a community an unsafe place to prosper, what slander does is, and this hit me like a dagger, what, what slander does is it makes a community an unsafe place to struggle. Right? It, it makes a community an unsafe place to doubt, an unsafe place to, to, to feel like you're bound by, by a particular sin. Because, why, if, if, if the community is a place where people are going to be talking down about each other, like, why in the world are you going to be vulnerable and, and share with somebody something that you're going through? And so, like, just ask yourself, maybe, maybe you say, okay, well, I don't really talk down about other people. Well, ask yourself, do you tend to examine people's flaws more than you thank them for their strengths? Do you tend to examine people's blind spots, right, more than thanking them for their, for their gifts and what God does through them? Do you... Do you gossip? Like, do you talk in any way? Some, as often in the church, it can be under the disguise of, well, you know, we just need to pray for this person. <laughs> but do you talk about people in, in, a, in a way that puts them down to, to lift yourself up? So, Peter's going to be very careful about slander, both in your words and in your thoughts. Because the church, it, it has to be a place where we can say, hey, I'm, I'm blowing it this week in this area. Like, can you help me? And that person will walk alongside you. Okay, and then so one other practice that Peter mentions is, and this is more hidden, but it's actually probably the most prominent practice in, in, the, in the metaphor, is this idea of presence. So when he says that you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, think about stones. When stones are cemented together on top of each other side by side, they don't go anywhere. Okay, so stones that are next to each other stay next to each other for a very long time. And so what he's saying is, is in the church, it is so important that you are regularly present with one another. So in corporate worship on Sunday, yes, absolutely, but also during the week. Because, like, especially when it comes to things like we've talked about, like being vulnerable with each other, often the way that comes about is by being present with people over a long period of time so you develop trust with one another and then you can share things. And a lot of things only come out by spending quantity time with each other. Like one of the, the best pieces of advice that I was given both for marriage advice and then uh, my wife and I are about to have a, a child in a month or so for, for parenting and then also just doing life with believers is it's, you know, we talk about quality time a lot, but it's actually quantity time that matters more. Like, and that's how quality time comes about. Like, some of your sweetest moments only happen, right, because you've been spending a quantity amount of time with, with, with other people, right? So Peter's saying is, like, when you're going about your week, are you very purposeful in making a point? So this often means saying no to other things. It means saying no to, to a lot more Netflix. It means saying no to more travel, okay? Travel, Netflix, those can be good things, but often we use them as a means to escape from, from the very clear things that God has called us to do. Something is just as very simple as just calling somebody to, to come and have dinner with you and your family. Right? Or making a point to go to worship service, even if you're exhausted, or even if you want to extend your vacation from, from Saturday into Sunday. So do you make a point to be very present with, with your community? And 
as I was thinking about this, I think one of the reasons why it's so hard to be present with people in community, yeah, we talked about living life through the lens of the individual me, that's a big part of it, but I think one of the biggest reasons why it's difficult to be present is because often it's very, it's very unexciting, and it can often seem like God isn't really doing much through it. It's like, all right, yeah, that was another community group, that was another worship service, or yeah, I got coffee, but I, I still feel the same, or that person still seems to be in the rut that they're in. And so here's a, an illustration that as I was, I, I watched The Dark Knight Rises about a month or so ago, and it was actually very helpful. And so how many of you here have seen the Dark Knight trilogy, by the way? Okay, so enough, and hopefully I'll be able to explain enough that, that this makes sense. And for those of you who hadn't seen, haven't seen it yet, sorry, it's been out for 10 to 15 years. I don't feel that bad about <laughs> So, okay, The Dark Knight's about Batman. Right, and so in the first movie, Batman Begins, you have Bruce Wayne, and he's this little boy, and he goes out to like a, a play with his parents, and on his way home with his parents, uh, his parents are murdered, and so Bruce ends up being taken to the um, the police station, and who's there but this guy, uh, Commissioner Gordon, and so Bruce is sitting there, you know, he's still just reeling from shock, and. Commissioner Gordon, you can tell he doesn't really, I mean, what do you tell a kid that that just happened to? But Gordon, he, he, he takes a jacket and he puts it over little Bruce's shoulders and he just says, it's okay. It's okay. And that's all he, that's all he says. And then what happens right throughout the trilogy is Bruce grows up to become Batman, right? To protect other people who, who can't protect themselves. And at the end of The Dark Knight Rises, so Batman's about to fly a ticking time bomb out of the city, and he, he's going to die with the explosion of the bomb. So he's giving his life to save the city. And he's about to fly off with this bomb, and Commissioner Gordon is there with him. And so they've had a relationship throughout the three movies, but Gordon doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know that Batman is Bruce Wayne. And right as he's about to say goodbye to Batman, he looks at Batman and he says, I've never cared who you were. But don't the people have a right to know who the hero is that saved them? Batman looks at him, and in my opinion, what is one of the most moving lines in cinematic history, he, he looks at Commissioner Gordon, and he says, a hero can be anyone. Even a man doing something as simple and reassuring as putting a cloak over a young boy's shoulders to let him know the world hadn't ended. And, you know, Gordon stutters backward, and what he realizes is that small, just seemingly ordinary gesture of putting a jacket around that little boy, it kept Bruce from falling into despair. That small act of kindness led to Bruce becoming who he became. And here's the point. You never know when you're in community with somebody, those small, unspectacular acts of kindness, especially when you feel like you have nothing to give, how that helps other believers continue to persevere in this life that's often so hard. Right? It's doing something as simple and reassuring as saying, I'll listen when somebody says, I'm wrestling with doubts, or how do I know God loves me? It's doing something as simple and reassuring 
as giving somebody a hug and inviting them over for dinner when they say, I just received the worst news from the doctor about somebody I love. It's doing something as simple and reassuring as just saying, I forgive you. When somebody wrongs you and asks for forgiveness and meaning it. And it's those, those small, simple things that help people make it all the way to the end with Christ and to glory. So do not underestimate the, the, the power of how God uses you just by being present in community. Okay, so finally, number three, we'll look at, we'll look at the, the foundation for community, okay, so which uh, Peter gives us God's pursuit of his community. And so Peter, he knows that everything he's just shared, as wonderful as it is, still isn't enough to root a community. And, you know, Peter was a time, at the time, he used to hate the church. Like, his identity used to be built on the fact that he wouldn't mess up like the other disciples. And then he fell hard. But then Peter ended up giving his life for the church. And so what was it that changed Peter? And what, what Peter says in verse 10 is he says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's a quote. From the book of Hosea, uh, chapter 2, verse 23. And so, what you should ask yourself is, why in the world would Peter quote Hosea? When he's encouraging us all to, to be more present in community. And here's why he, he quotes Hosea. And this is what always needs to be at the heart of any community. So, the book of Hosea, for those of you who uh, haven't read it or haven't read it in a while, um, a book about a prophet named Hosea, and God approaches Hosea, and he says, I want you to go marry a woman. Her name is Gomer, and she's a prostitute, and I'm going to use your relationship with her to paint a picture of the kind of relationship that I have with my people. So he says, Hosea, I want you to go marry her. I want you to love her, and so Hosea goes and he marries her, and she cheats on him, and she cheats on him, and she cheats on him, going around with all these other men. And God says, I want you to pursue her and pursue her and pursue her and continue to bring her back into your room and love her. <laughs> Say, I will be your husband and you will be my wife. But then one day, Gomer gets in such a degrading relationship that the man puts her on a block to then sell her body to other people. And God says to Hosea, I want you to go buy her back. Say, so you will be my wife, and I'll be your husband. And so, what God was doing there, and why Peter is now quoting it here when he's talking about community, is because that, that is the picture of how we relate to God. Because God says, I made you for a love relationship with me. And you, you come into church, you come into the temple, you come into the church, and, and you sing my praises, and you sit under the preaching of the word, but then you go out, and you don't love others as I've called you to live. You fall into spiritual adultery, and you fail again and again and again, and, and you don't love me as you should. But what God does, he says, I will pursue you, and I will pursue you, and I will pursue you all the way to the cross. 
were in the most expensive purchase in the history of the world, he said, I'm going to buy you back. Where he paid not just with money, but with his own blood. Why did Jesus do it? Why on the cross did Jesus lose the love that he had had for all eternity? So that you and I can have love without parting. Why did Jesus fall into darkness on the cross? Right, where he, where he lost the light that he'd always had. So that for you and me, grief and darkness is not the final answer to our life. Why did, you, why did he do what he did? See where, where Peter says, once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you hadn't received mercy, now you've received mercy. Also, when you trust in Jesus, everything about who you are changes. Your name changes. So your name is no longer cursed. It's blessed. It's no longer lost. It's found. It's, it's no longer sinner. It's daughter, son, treasured possession. And so what, what makes a group of people like this or any, ga- any gathered body of believers is not that the person next to you or in front of behind you is a magnificent person that's easy to love. What makes this group of people so magnificent is that you have been pursued by an impossible love. And that's the foundation of the church. That's what we come here to celebrate and rejoice in every single week. And that's the only thing that will enable you to be free from envy, to be free from slander, to be present when it's very hard to be present. When you remember how God pursued you and pursued you and continues to pursue you, no matter what kind of week you've had. And so I, I, know, I know Edward, I know, I know Justin, I've, I've met a lot of you guys here. That from what I can see, this is a good church. But may you, may you continue to grow in this so that you can be a people who proclaims the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Why? Because once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you hadn't received mercy, but now you've received mercy. And so have I. (laughs) Hallelujah. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for changing Peter and loving Peter uh, so that he could write this passage to Uh, the Christians in the first century, and that we can read it now. Lord, I ask that you will help all of us, Lord, to see the church for what it is, despite its flaws, and for the gospel, what you've done for us in Jesus to to change um, how we we act and live with each other, Lord. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.